the first verse in the Bible is well-known, even by those that have never read the Bible. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's less well-known is that that verb uh, in the Hebrew is it's bara, B-A-R-A, to transliterate it. And it's only ever used of God, with God as subject. Only God baras things. In other words, only God creates uh, with no pre previously existing material. Only God creates out of nothing. We're sub-creators, we're made in his image, and one of the things that means, one of the many things that that means, by we I mean humans, uh, that makes us like God, made in his image, made in his likeness, is that we, we create, but we, we always create with material that he's already made. Um, and so man building things um, out of his creativity, uh, whether structures or programs or civilizations or um, even kids drawing, whatever, uh, building Legos, it, we're imaging, we're imaging God, we're being godlike in that sense. Satan, uh, fallen angel, God made him, he does not create. Satan certainly doesn't bara, he doesn't create out of nothing, only God does. He doesn't, he's not creative, he's destructive. He, his version of creation is, he's the great imitator. He tries to imitate God, and he will take what God has made, and he'll twist it. He hates God's creation, he hates God, and he hates God's word, and he certainly hates God's image, that's us. So he seeks to destroy us and devour us. And, and so, for instance, Satan will take sex. God made it. Sex is God's, not Satan. It's good. It often leads to um, the propagation of God's, more of God's image bearers. It's a miracle when it happens. Uh, when a man and a woman get together um, in God's way within the covenant of marriage, it's beautiful. It's powerful. It creates amazing things. Image bearers, I mean, it's, it's an absolute miracle how God puts the soul uh, from the start in those in those little creatures, and they and they uh, grow in the womb and then are born and, and grow up, uh, and, and and so God makes God made sex. Satan um, he will take sex, a good gift from God uh, that 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 helps create life, and that we get to partake in, and uh, he will twist it. He'll, um, he'll have a man and a woman get together outside of the covenant of marriage. He'll have a man get together with a number of women, polygamy. He'll have a woman and a woman get together. He'll have a man and a man together. I mean, you notice neither of those relationships is fruitful. There's no, there are no children that comes from those things. That should tell us something. Um, he will, uh, you know, Satan will encourage us to, uh, have sex with beasts, you know, um, bestiality is, is forbidden in the law as is, is homosexual uh, liaisons and uh, sexual activity. And, um, and then of course, in the, um, while never explicitly forbidden that I'm aware of in the old Testament, uh, polygamy is always a disaster. It always leads to the wheels falling off of the proverbial vehicle, uh, which is his own tacit commentary. Um, God, the, the first marriage is one between a man and a woman. So, so sex is good, but Satan will try to take it and derange it in, in, um, in order to, uh, to imitate 
into twist, and that's that's what he does. It, why do I why do I belabor that? Because we're in the middle of Revelation, and we're sort of tipping tipping over. Uh, we're kind of on the downhill run, as it were. We're tipping over from um, the top of the hill down to the sort of second part. It's kind of the, we're at the watershed to the second running down toward the second part of Revelation and Revelation 12 is is really the bullseye of the book and again it's not a, it's not a revelation is not set out chronologically it's repetitive or scholars will say recursive it repeats itself um, I think I think seven times there are other divisions but it's definitely saying similar things over and over again um, a lot of people I'm included think that you see some of that with the seven first seals that are opened, certainly judgments. And then after that, the seven trumpets that are blown. And after that, the seven bowls that are poured out. They're different, but there are a lot of similarities. And a lot of scholars think that these are the same things that are happening over and over again. But it's sort of like a diamond. It's the same diamond, but as it's turned, you see different facets of the diamond. And these different tellings of the same events the judgment of God, uh, which is intended to lead to repentance, but often doesn't, um, is uh, we're, we're seeing it. We're seeing different aspects of it. And so it's recursive or repetitive. And it's also it seems to be increasing in intensity. So as the book moves toward the final uh, judgment of God and the wrath of the lamb and then bringing in his bringing in the new creation when he vanquishes all his enemies, uh, things get more and more intense. So so moving from the seals of the trumpet to the bowls, the bowls are the most intense. The judgment is the most severe. And why do I say that? Okay, so so it's not linear necessarily. It's not uh, chronological. Revelation is repetitive and it's reflective. So seven sections, that means three on one side, three on the other side, and there's one in the middle. That's the fourth section. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 is right in the middle. It's the fourth section. It's right in the middle of the sections. It's in the middle of the book, and, and it's the bullseye. And in the center, ancient documents, the position was super important, typically. Uh, the beginning of Revelation is features the risen Christ. He has the keys. He holds the keys to death and hell. He's conquered the grave through his life and death and resurrection. He is... The front, he is, he front loads the book, this vision of the glorious and resurrected Christ and his victory and the church's victory in him. Same thing with the end of the book. We see this amazing image of the conquering king coming and vanquishing his enemies and, and wiping tears from our eyes and bringing heaven down to earth and reigning and renewing all creation. He, he absolutely fills out in glorious form the last part of the book. He's also in the middle, Revelation 12. It's the birth of the Christ child. Now, how can Revelation be um, chronological if the middle of the book is something that's already happened? John has already talked about all sorts of stuff that happens after the birth of Christ, after his life, after his death, after his resurrection. So how can Revelation 12, the middle of the book, the bullseye, being about the birth of the Christ child, the central event in all human history? It shows us that Revelation is not chronological. So, but it is the centerpiece, not just of the book, but because it's the centerpiece of the book, John is telling us through position, it is the most important thing that's ever happened in human history. It's the hinge. It's the pivot point of all of history.
everything else before Jesus led to the incarnation of the Son of God who came to save us and to defeat sin and death and hell. And everything after Jesus is, is like light passing through a prism. It refracts through him. Everything passes through his nail-scarred hands. Okay? Why do I belabor that? Because, and I say why? Because we've already done that. We're in Revelation 13. That's right. When Satan is a great imitator. So Revelation 13, there's no way to understand it unless you understand it. It comes from, again, order's important. It comes right after Revelation 12. That's why there are so many resonances with, as you read about, <clears throat> excuse me, the dragon, the beast rising out of the sea, the second beast, also called the false prophet, doing his thing, uttering blasphemous words, etc. You read about these, the dragon and the two beasts. Why do they, why are there, why do they sound so much like things that we've heard before? The lion, the lamb, trying to be God, receiving worship, people worshiping these things. Because Satan is an imitator. Jesus, we've just been told about how God has recaptured the dominion that mankind lost through Adam, through Adam's disobedience that we've all inherited. Jesus, the second Adam, came and recaptured that dominion. He has the dominion, and through that dominion, through laying his life down and then taking it up again, he is remaking creation. That is the centerpiece of all history. Now, Satan, he's just going to try to do the same thing. So there's one sentence in which John in Revelation 13 is saying this. All the rest of history flows out of the victory of the Lamb, but it also looks like this. It looks like the enemy, the dragon, setting up the beast, the, the beast's lackey, the false prophet, the second beast, setting up these powers to try to imitate the power of God through his son, Jesus Christ, and through his church, okay, through his people. And so that, there's a lot of resonance here. John is taking straight from when he characterizes what the beast is doing and what the, the false prophet's doing, there is a direct tie Two, that every commentator notices from to to, Revel, to excuse me to Daniel seven chapter seven, and and I'll jump into that in a second briefly briefly, but that is uh, we're not looking for an antichrist here. What we're looking at is John's description of powers opposed to God. It mainly takes the form of state state power in our day too, um, even civic city power because whereas the last two centuries have been the centuries of the nation state, we're moving into the the century of the city for the first time in history um, a few years ago uh, cities tipped the scales in having more population than the countryside than any other place than all the other places combined in the world um, cities are acting a lot like nation states you have these mega cities of you know 10 15 20 plus million and then corporations massive global corporations you think of Google and Apple and am I saying they're evil Disney um, Amazon. No, I'm not saying they're evil necessarily, but I am saying that uh, these massive powers run by men seeking to control, seeking, they have a lot of money, they have a lot of power, and there's a, they, Satan will use them in a lot of ways, um, oftentimes. Uh, and yet God calls his people to be in and among them, right? Salt and light. So we'll, we'll get to that at the end. But, okay, so usually I read, just for the sake of time... I'm not going to read the whole passage. Am I? I don't think I am. Um, let me read a bit, though. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, 
with 10 diadems. This is Revelation 13, by the way, with 10 diadems and uh, crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet. And the beast, I think I put an S on that. It's singular. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Um, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Okay, now we can go on. I read, I read that because that is that is the bit that get, it's a giveaway that John is drawing from Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is clearly about, um, it's clearly about state power. It's clearly about nation states and kings rising up to try to rival God and being opposed to God and um, demanding allegiance and authority that belongs to God alone and, and worship that belongs to God alone and arrogating to themselves his power uh, and his adoration. And um, the lineup of these beasts is uh, they're separate beasts and they're separate kingdoms. Most scholars agree that uh, that the first um, the first beast we, moving from Daniel's day to Jesus's day, which is what the lineup seems to indicate. Um, it is uh, we're, we're we're moving from the empires of Babylon to Persia, to Greece, to Rome, in Jesus' day, Rome. And and Daniel would have been Babylon into Persia. Uh, then Greece followed, and then Rome comes out of Greece. Um, and so pretty clear that those beasts are talking about state power from Daniel to, to Jesus. And um, what, what John is doing here is he's compressing all those features into one beast. Uh, you know, it was like a leopard, it had feet like a bear, mouth like a lion, and the dragon gave its power. So it's the state, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a pastiche, you know, a compression together of all these beasts into one state power. And yeah, it probably speaks to Rome. There are a number of reasons for thinking that Rome was the dominating empire in the world at that time, you know, as John is writing this in the first century. Um, Rome crucified Messiah. And um, is is at this point in time has ex has killed most of the apostles is has John exiled um, on in a gulag essentially on a on one of its um, penal colonies just on the western coast of Turkey Patmos and the, the emperors are uniformly as they accede to the throne demanding worship as God the coins. Or minted with with these sorts of um, Ciro, Ciro, near uh, um, Caesar is is the high priest. Caesar is is God. That uh, the coins were minted with these sorts of phrases on them in Latin. So, so the state is irrigating to itself um, the power that belongs to God alone. And through in, in speaking of Rome. John really is speaking of of all state power, all massive conglomerate company power, all civic power, all personal power, massive you know individuals that are of massive wealth and, and influence that that um, claim allegiance that belongs to God alone, right? And so Satan uses he uses these individuals and companies and states. Um, he uses them to, to imitate God and to steal worship from God and to cause people. It said, you know, 
they worshipped the dragon for for he'd given his authority to the beast, and they, and they worshipped the beast, who's like the beast, who can fight against it. The state power seems so massive, and John's day Rome seems so powerful that it seems invincible. Of course, you know, that's not true. America, same thing. Am I saying America is godless? Not completely, but in a lot of ways, you know, look at the rise of China and um, in the past, the Soviet Union and others. I mean, people think, man, who these things are so powerful, and they give, they worship them. They give allegiance to them. Um, I pledge allegiance to the flag, you know, put that in front of uh, pledging allegiance to God. And um, and so the worship of the state, allegiance, to, uh, look, having pride in where you come from, there's nothing wrong with that. Wanting the best for your country, that's good. That means you're able to critique it. Having blind allegiance to it and worshiping it as the thing that ought to provide for your every need and tell you how to live, that's that's not a healthy a relationship that's called statism and we have to worship and so increasingly when god is taken out of a society like look at look at the soviet union in the 20th century it was formed through an atheistic marxist i mean marxism is atheistic at its core it's atheist um you remove you systematically remove god from from schools and from the government and you eradicate it um you try to you try to eradicate god worship from the society and that was that was uh it, it was um, it was done on a massive scale in the Soviet Union. The church was crushed and had to go underground. So, um, and, and hand you know, hand in hand with that is, the state then demands the worship that belongs to God. The state demands complete allegiance. That is the highest virtue. It's not individualism, certainly not worship of God, but but total allegiance to the state. Everything for the for the greater good of the community. Um, which is why a hammer and a, and a, and a sickle, um, the worker, the worker for the good of the state, for the good of the community, was the symbol of Soviet Russia, uh, of Soviet, the Soviet Union, I should say. Um, and so statism is state worship. And when you remove God from the equation, the state is gonna, often going to take over, take the place, take that vacuum. We have to worship. We, we, aren't, we cannot worship nothing. We worship something. And so um, you see that in Nazi Germany, same thing. God is is railed against and assailed by that movement, and uh, they demand complete allegiance, and it ends up transferring to Hitler, the the Fuhrer, the leader. And uh, increasingly in the West, as we try to expunge God from the picture and move him from the public and even the private sphere, when people lose faith, Increasingly today in the West, uh, while Christianity grows pretty much everywhere else in the in the in the global South um, and in the East, um, the as as we do that, people are looking to the state increasingly not not to provide for the common defense so that they can provide for themselves and worship according to conscience and the scriptures, whatever scriptures they claim. No, no, no. Increasingly, that's how our country was founded. But increasingly. Uh, people are looking in the West to governments to provide everything. You tell me what a what a boy and a girl is, or if there's even such a thing. You tell me, um, you you, pro- you write checks for me, you provide for me, you give me jobs, you um, you 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 save the planet for me. You run on a ticket that said it's a messianic, making messianic claims. I will do this. I will do that. I will save you. I will solve all the problems. Um, 
you know, increasingly our presidential elections are sounding like messianic campaigns. There's a reason for that. There's a reason. I mean, it's the arc of of democracies and republics, right? It's it's the arc that that Rome took, and there's you know there's a reason that our our state is increasingly sounding a lot like take arrogating to itself all the power, like like the Roman Empire did. Um, and anything that gets in the way of that is is going to be an enemy. So, um, trust us. You know, we'll tell you. And again, this is not a comment on should you wear masks or not. But with the recent COVID pandemic, you know, two years and going, um, the government increasingly trying to say, okay, you, you can't leave your house, you can't go into these stores, you can't go to public places, you have to wear a mask, you have to get vaccinated, you have to do, you have to do that. We'll we'll keep you safe. We'll keep you from dying. And, you know, the state can't do that. And I'm not saying all those decisions were wrong, but I am saying um, you can see the urge, the statist urge to just assure people, hey, we'll take care of everything. We'll take care of your whole life. Just trust us. Um, that's a sign of um, God being removed from the picture and something's going to fill the void. And you see a lot of that here, the rise of of Rome, the rise of the state, the rise of the corporation, the rise of these powerful individuals and cities. Um, and they are not spiritually neutral. They demand worship. And and it says that everyone gave them allegiance that wasn't God's. So we will worship God or we will worship a false God. Uh, and, that, and that can be the state. All right. So and, and it says very clearly here in this text that God is the one who gives for a time the um, the beast and the false prophet their power. He allows them to have power. He allows them to make war on the saints and to conquer them, just like he allowed his son to go to the cross. In fact, he he foreordained it. He orchestrated it sovereignly, while man also freely and responsibly nailed the Son of God to a cross. God allowed it, and he used our evil to save us. And so he's allowing these things. He's allowing the saints to be conquered and to, to, to have war um arrayed against them for his purposes, that through our suffering, his kingdom might go forward, which is why wherever the saints are persecuted around the world, that's where the church is growing the fastest, right? And the, and the converse is true as well. Um, so it says authority was given. This is verse seven. Authority was given it, the beast to the beast, um, over every tribe and people and, and language and tongue. So in all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life in the land of the lamb who was slain. So in other words, everyone, everyone who is not God is going to worship something that's not God. We are worshiping creatures. They will worship the state. They will worship um, these, these seemingly all powerful um, entities, but God is the one who has given them power for a time and then he'll take it away and he will vanquish them. So the state doesn't deserve our worship. Uh, it deserves a healthy allegiance and critique and the state exists for us. The, uh, you know, those in the government are, are public servants and um, in our in our worship belongs to God alone. So when we forget that we're in trouble. So you see a ton of imitation here. Um, the beast is uttering things that belong to God alone. He's uh, uttering first five haughty and blasphemous words. He's allowed. There it is again. Allowed by whom? God to exercise authority for 42 months. That 42 months is three and a half years. Same period of time. It's 1260 days. It's it's that that and those three those three numbers all are the same thing. 1260 days is 42 months is three and a half years, which is half of seven years, seven being the perfect or full amount of time. So 
Um, some people think it's a literal three and a half years. John rarely uses, in my opinion, in this symbolic apocalyptic literature, numbers literally, if ever. Um, and so there are various interpretations, but a very common one in mine is that three and a half years here, this beast, what's characterizing the age between Christ's ascension and his, his, his victory at the cross, his resurrection and ascension, and then his second coming. What characterizes the, the age that we're in, the age that John was in? It's, it's called the last times. It's called the end days. It's called the church age. It's called the age of the spirit where the church is being persecuted. And as she preaches the gospel under persecution, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The kingdom of God goes forth, just like it's the economy of the cross. When Christ laid his life down, the atomic power for salvation went forth. And that's, that is what characterizes this age as his body, the church, lays her life down and preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. And so um, what characterizes this age? Well, the devil trying to get trying to imitate and trying to get uh, through these these state powers, et cetera, trying to get worship from from people on earth. And uh, it's 42 months. It's 1260 days. It's three and a half years. That's half the amount of time of a perfect of a perfect and a full and a complete time. So it's an in, it's not going to last forever. That's one of the interpretations, right? It's not going to last forever. It's this, but it's this long period of time that is um, where Satan is doing everything he can to kind of try to grab worship from uh, the one who deserves it and the one who is the second Adam, the, uh, the Christ child, the Messiah, the King, the God man. And so uh, three and a half years is, in other words, it's the time of, between the first and second coming of Christ. It's, it's the age now. It's this age. It's that, it covers that whole period. And, you know, the sec, there's lots of an imitation with the second beast. Then I saw verse 11 and following to the end of the chapter, I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon, right? So it imitates the lamb. Um, and it uh, it's in the service of, of the first beast who's in the service of the dragon. So they're all they're all in, in the service of the dragon. And um, it exercises authority whose mortal wound was healed. So there's a sort of death, a seeming death and then resurrection of the beast. And uh, that's a lot, you know, imitating Christ. And this second, this second beast has horns like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. So it's, it's, it's words reveal its true character. It's Satan's, it's Satan's puppet, but it, it can seem like it tries to imitate God, looks like a lamb, looks meek and mild, it's not. Um, and so people follow it and it deceives, uh, verse 14. So, um, what I want to leave you with here, there's tons of imitation. Um, we aren't spiritually neutral. Um, there's this increasing one world push. And we, you know, in government, in the West, especially today, and, you know, the, the idea of limited powers of government is what our government was founded on in, in distrust of, of power given to man and distrust of power given to the government. So there are checks and balances sewn in. Um, increasingly now we have just, oh, government's going to do everything right. Just trust the government, give all the power to the government. Let's, let's all, let's all join hands in the world. And there's this, there's this desire this urge toward one world order. And that comes from, that's imitation. That comes from the fact that we are made by God as his subjects to worship him, to image him, to rule and to build and to adventure and to cultivate his creation um, and to serve his king. 
the Son. And, and Jesus Christ is the King over all nations, and he is coming again to claim allegiance and to vanquish his foes. He is the King of Kings, Revelation 19. He is the Lord of Lords, and he will have uh, total allegiance. Every knee will bow. Uh, but now people are trying to um, grab that for themselves, and there's this, we're made to be brought together, all the nations are, by one king. But only Jesus can do that, and meanwhile, this age is going to be characterized by um, different states, different individuals, different corporations trying to spread out over all the earth and unite, and it's um, it, it never works. So government knowing its fear and limiting its power and distrusting itself and being the servant of the populace and guaranteeing rights and protecting uh, the common wheel. Those are things that are healthy. Those are things that are good. Um, sphere sovereignty, you know, staying within. But no, we, we see massive overreach today, and it's a great sign of unhealth. Um, so does this mean, in wrapping up, does this all mean that we should oppose the state and big corporations? Certainly not. Not necessarily. When, when asked by Roman soldiers how how they should demonstrate their turning from self to God's kingdom, John the Baptist said, you know, how do, how do we bear fruit in keeping with repentance? He said, basically, to Roman soldiers, he didn't say, put down your arms, stop being a soldier, leave. You can never you can never be a, a Christ follower. You can never be a child of God uh, on God's side and, and be in the employ of Rome. He didn't say that. It, you would have expected him to. He said, basically, be honest. Um, don't cheat people. Don't take more than your... Um, more than you're due. Be honest and be a good soldier. Do your job well. Right? Um, in other words, he did not, yeah, like I said, he did not tell them to desert the army or the state. And there's so many pictures of that in the Bible. Daniel was a faithful servant of the state, but he worshiped God fully at the same time. Joseph, same thing. Obadiah, on a smaller scale, was a godly man, often overlooked in the Bible. First Kings 18. Uh, he was in the employ of one of the wickedest kings of all Israel, wicked King Ahab. And yet God had him there in the employ of that king, in his uh, in his court. And, and what was Obadiah doing? He was faithfully serving God in his post. He was hiding prophets in fifties in caves to keep um, Ahab from murdering them. God has his people everywhere. He, um, one of the people that supported Jesus' ministry was the wife of Herod, wicked King Herod, a murderer in every sense, a megalomaniac. She was the wife of Herod's household manager, and she used Herod's funds, undoubtedly, to support Jesus's ministry. How wonderful. Um, no, God has his people everywhere. Be a burning light right where you are, right where he has placed you. Do good, work honestly, and be kind. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Government is good, Romans 13, instituted by God to punish evildoers and to uphold the law. We need to be a healthy government is one that understands that it, it operates according to law and not according to trust in trust in men's goodness. So corporations are good. Uh, it's when they try to be and, and governments are good instituted by God. It's when they try to be God and not simply governments or corporations that they become evil. Right. Um, it's it, again, in Romans 13, in Revelation 13, we see it's when we try to imitate when these powers try to rise up and imitate God, be like God. That's that was Satan's original deal, man was he tried to be like God. He didn't know his proper station as an angel of light, as a worshiper of God. He didn't do what he was created to do. He tried to arrogate to himself divinity. 
And, and that's what he exactly, misery loves company. It's exactly how he tried to tempt and did tempt Adam and Eve successfully is, hey, uh, you, God knows that you're going to be just like him when you eat that fruit. He's holding out on you. He's, he's jealous. He's, he, uh, he hates fun. He hates a good time. He, he's got something good that, that he's told you not to do. No, no, no. That was a, that was a lie. Um, and so in trying to be like God and not image bearers that were to be God worshipers in, in, um, uh, in service to God, that's where we fell as well. So, so either way, um, we need God's children in every sector of government, the corporate world and everywhere else. And remember, never forget people are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Satan is the enemy. People need to be redeemed. People need to have the good news of Jesus Christ and, and his kingship overall preached to them. Um, and how he laid his life down for us um, to save us. How he bore the, the wrath of God that was directed at us justly on the cross so that we could receive the smile and the favor of God. He became a curse on that cross. And he... Um, paid the full price that God the Father accepted for our sins. And so proof of that is that he was raised on the third day. And we are going to follow him uh, in this newly created order that comes from his resurrection. And so um, Christ has crushed Satan's head. He did it at the cross. Satan knows his days are numbered. He's trying to get as many followers as he can. He's the great imitator. He knows his time is short. Um, this is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints, Revelation 13, 10. Um, so God bless you. I hope this gives you encouragement. I hope, I hope this helps you kind of see the goings-on, what characterizes this age with Christ as king reigning from heaven through his body here on earth as his kingdom, his kingdom goes forth as we preach the gospel and suffer and are persecuted for it especially. And meanwhile, Satan is going to try to grab allegiance. He's going to try to fill the vacuum where God is not worshipped with state worship, with worship of um, people and companies, corporations, states that have just massive power and wealth. But they uh, they're given some power for a time by the sovereign God. But uh, that means that God's in control. They're not. And uh, they will serve his purposes. So Worship God alone and uh, not the state, certainly. And um, God bless you.